Hello, church. This is Drew Shelley, one of the pastors at Murfreesboro First United Methodist Church with the Church at Work podcast, episode two. I'm joined again today by two friends, Ryan Corstange and Andy Polk, whom I have asked to join me today for a little theological exploration of the Church at Work. Uh, Today, on this episode, I'd like for you to introduce each other. So, Ryan, would you introduce Andy? And Andy, would you introduce Ryan? So, uh, Ryan teaches, uh, in some sense, teaching and learning at uh, MTSU. Uh, Also teaches uh, foundations class here at uh, First United Methodist. All right. Um, Thinks deeply about the gospel, about God, uh, and tries to figure that out and tries to help other people figure that out along with him in ways that he doesn't always recognize or appreciate in himself. Uh, Andy teaches in history, uh, and he teaches about religion at MTSU. Uh, And I would say he spends a lot of time uh, living out the gospel in ways that he'll never tell anybody about. Um, So now he's going to be upset with me for saying that. And I'm not going to say any more than that because then he'll be really We're okay as long as we stop right there. We won't be friends after this episode is over. Well, it is a gift to have the two of you here and to uh, begin again this journey of unpacking the church. What does it mean to be the church at work and how we define church? On our last episode, we we started with a question, how do we define church? And we realized we really need to define gospel. And we talked a little bit about that. And Andy, uh, give us a recap of gospel as you uh, defined it, that powerful story you told. Um, yeah, that, uh, that at the core of the gospel is an understanding that uh, there's a gross equality of humanity, that um, God loves us all equally, uh, is from a story from Will Campbell in which he defined it. Uh, the short is uh, that we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway. Uh, and then he, in, in stating that once and then having to live it out, was challenged with what that means when one of his uh, dear friends was killed for trying to register black voters during the civil rights era. Uh, and he was questioned uh, by another friend of uh, who God loves more, uh, his dear friend that was killed or the man who killed him. And so right. Campbell realized that uh, we're, that's the core of it. We're all loved equally. And we don't know exactly how that plays out, but that's, that's the it. We're all the same. Yeah. All sinners, all damned, and yet all saved, all loved. Um, and the, the rest of it is figuring out what that means as we live it out. What that means and how we live it out. Yeah, because of Jesus, through Jesus and, and Christ's sacrifice. I think, about, uh, I think about Paul's many letters and writings and uh, a professor I had in seminary studied Paul deeply and said, when you encounter good news or gospel in Paul, it's always the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Somehow the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus includes the gospel and what it means as we try to live it out. Right. So we as the church are people who follow Jesus in living this gospel, living, preaching, showing this gospel in everything that we do. Uh, We started talking a little bit about the institutional church on our last episode and how oftentimes we equate church with just showing up at church, just being a part of a community of faith, doing churchy type things. And we said, no, it's much more than that. It's, It's about a way of life that is centered in and shaped by this gospel that that we talk about. And so let's talk just a little bit about 
the current state of the church, the institutional church that we see in our time today. Ryan, at our last episode, Ryan led us down a path talking a little bit about church at different times, but took us all the way back to the New Testament and said, church as we have it today really didn't exist in the New Testament. They, they would not have been familiar with probably hymnals and uh, bulletins and pledge cards and pews and things like that. Professional clergy. And professional yeah. clergy, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan, for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so the church as we have it today in 2019, maybe we have some difficulties looking at the institutional church, and we have to ask the question, does the institutional church promote gospel living, or does it promote something else? What do you think, Ryan? So... Uh, I remember as, as a as a way into what I think. I remember this story where uh, this story. I remember this thing. I was at dinner with somebody, and we were talking about church and um, the institutional church. and And this guy said something. Uh, he said, "You know, institutions always have to be concerned with their own security." Mm. Uh, and so when you're concerned with your, but, but he said the gospel is a thing that defies security, right? And so it pits mm. together these really important things, right? Like in modern day America, churches have mortgages and they have mm-hmm. carrying costs and they have utility bills and they have obligations to people. And that's really interesting. But the, but the gospel is a thing that, that like almost by design puts you in a place of being very insecure. And so it, it puts... Uh, purposes in conflict with each other at times, um, and there are times. To- yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll leave it there. But th- I think that gets us into what the what the issues are when we think about church in the modern world. Right, the gospel requires mm-hmm. us to be nimble, and it requires us to be outward focused, and it requires us to be flexible and concerned with others, and not concerned with our own security. But the fact of institutionality requires that we think about security. Right. Um, I've noticed in in church world over time, and I I call church world kind of the institutional church, which is very much where I live and work every day. And so it's, I love talking about gospel and trying to understand what it should look like in the church. Uh, But when I look at churches that that are going through times of crisis and struggle, almost every time they turn inward. Mm -hmm. They, uh, I say they circle the wagons and rally the troops to just stay alive. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's a very unhealthy way of existence for a church that actually is detrimental to the future of the church. And it takes Herculean efforts on the part of lay leaders and clergy leaders and others to call the people out of that. Right. It's, a, it's a challenge. Andy, you had a thought about that, I think. Did I? Um, I have lots of thoughts. Not, not all <laughs> should be out loud. Um, yeah, I think right. This is uh, one of one of my polkisms. I have many weird sayings that I have that my a polkism. Name, polkism, yeah. Okay. Uh, one of mine is that uh, the best thing and the worst thing about church is that it's full of people. Mm. Uh, right. That there's e- even this idea that uh, so we we have a group of people that come together. We love each other. We love being together. We love love studying and moving and talking. But there is a natural human thing of when we form that together and we give it a name and then we we do have a building and we have it right that this idea of those people like even seeking inward um is is in some sense a sign of a good thing right mm-hmm. because they love each other and they have a history here and they they it's been really beneficial to them and their families and they want it uh, the difficulty with it is that uh we sometimes 
we equate existing with doing. And so we reason with ourselves that if we don't exist at all, if we're not here as this thing, then we can't do any good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it means that we slip into our purpose is existing. It's just to continue existing. Right. And that somehow just by existing, we are good. It is good because it is church. Um, and that has a bleed effect into a whole lot of things, and therefore we go to church, and we, we get enlivened and fill our spiritual gas tanks, and then we go out to, to live our lives. But living our lives is just kind of living our lives and the way everyone else lives their lives, and we don't know, um, because there is a part our lives are chaotic, and we're not certain. And so we do come to church, institutional church, to find comfort and to find peace and to, to find security. Um I think that my understanding of the gospel, which I fully admit may not be the understanding of the gospel. I don't have all the answers. Uh, My life has fully demonstrated that. (laughs) But I think the uncertainty that comes with that, of just living life with people and trying to bless and trying to to live this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that um, there's a lot of uncertainty because I don't know what that means and what it looks like all the time. But there's also another form of safety and security that it turns out I don't have to know it all. Me existing, me doing, the, the, the world doesn't revolve around me. And when I mess up, it's okay because God still loves me just as God loved me beforehand. And God's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about who's in and out, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and who has. That's above my pay grade. God deals with that. It's not that it doesn't exist or doesn't matter. It's just that I'll never know that. Mm-hmm. But once I give up worrying about that, turns out I can just treat people as people because God's going to deal with the rest of it, right? There's a freedom in not having to know that comes along with the kind of uncertainty of not knowing. I think we're exchanging one form of security for another one. And I, I believe Jesus' form of safety and security is better, um, at least I believe that sometimes when clarify. I live it out more. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me clarify something. You said we're exchanging one form of safety and security for another. Yeah. And so in the gospel, we find this beautiful sense of security in God. Yes. God's yeah. love and radical acceptance of all of us. And that is the ultimate blessing of, of security, that, that ultimate gift that God holds us in God's hand and in God's heart. Forever. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about that. But we exchange that for something else. We ex- exchange that for sort of an institutionally created security that says, if I do the right things and get the right answers and believe the right stuff, I have security. And I'm going to see that security because if I do those things and follow this pathway and do these 10 things and these 12 mm-hmm. things, uh, I'm going to be personally blessed, and that's a further sign of God's blessing, and so my security is there. That's not the same as gospel security, is it? Ryan, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it is not the same, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think think that we run a further risk, right? When we kind of turn inward and spend all of our time building our own security, what we're doing also is— offering some really specific definitions of what, what, who God is and what the gospel is and who matters and what mm-hmm. matters that are in direct or can be in direct conflict with these larger answers that are presented in the Bible. Right. Um, and, and, that's, and then they become really like uh, 
uh, solid for us because they're part of now now the group that we belong to and they're part of our kind of institutional identity. And now it becomes really even harder to get outside of this and do our own and do the gospel and kind of find that correction. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really it's really difficult. Right. It's it's idolatry. Sure. It's yeah. idolatry. And, yeah. and for our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, idolatry is putting something in God's place. Right. God has given us this gift. God has also given us a very specific expectation that we would put nothing in God's place. God belongs in God's mm-hmm. place. We go back to the Old Testament, Exodus, Moses is on the mountain. The people are waiting. And what do they do? They make a golden calf. Mm-hmm. Well, he's gone. <laughs> God brought us out of here. We need to worship something, but I don't know where God is, so let's make a golden calf. And I think, I think, we are fraught in the institutional church with golden calves that we create in an effort to define and create our own security. And because the thing that we can create is a whole lot easier, and it's mm, more, yeah. it's more apparent, apparent in some ways. It's more controlled. It's we bounded. Put it in a box. Yeah, we create it. We know and, it. That's yeah, where it is. We know exactly yeah. what it is, and so it's easier to do and feel good about. And we can't put God in that same box, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the story that you told, Andy, the fact that God loves both the person who murdered this wonderful, kind man and this wonderful, kind man, God loves them equally, that's outside of any box that we would like to have. Yeah. Right. And, and begs the question, well, then what What then do I do if I believe that, right? Do I, I do still want justice for the person who was murdered, mm-hmm. so I actually do want that person to go to jail because if a person who would just murder someone like that, what if they do it again, but I'm supposed to not dismiss them as subhuman and other, and therefore I must, as Jesus said, go to the prisoners and, right, declare to them and visit them, right? There's, uh, it's it's a difficult proposition because then the implications, I, I don't know exactly what that means all the time. Right. I think that's the key to it. I don't think it's because... We're at our heart, you know, all evil people. I think it's because we don't like not knowing what to do, what what the answer is, what it is. I think that's the security we want. Um, yeah. We want to have answers. We want to be okay, stable. Right. That that's that's really what we're we're after. That's the comfort. That's the security. Right. To just know that we're okay. Um, to just know that we're okay. Know that we're okay. Yeah. That's right. I'm all right. God offers something so much better than that. Far better. Yeah, and it's just harder. Yeah, but you're not but in okay. The moment, you're loved. That's that's yeah. that's better. But yeah, but ooh. practically and in the moment, you might not be okay, right? Like yeah, yeah, that's like right. It puts you, you in a position. Sure. It, it has to put you in a position of insecurity and instability, mm-hmm. and and that is hard. Uh, and that's why these other models, you know, are are so uh, lasting in some way, right. and so appealing. They're easier, right? Um, well, I think people are drawn yeah, to. Absolutely. Um, I've I've done sermon series myself where I would offer something like ten ways to ten ways to uh, please God or ten mm-hmm. ways to be a blessing to others or whatever. And people are drawn to those things because the sense is, oh, I'm gonna get a list. I, mm-hmm. I I want a list. I'd love to have that list. And if I do that list, then somehow I'm good. I've done what I need to do. And uh, people like that yeah. a lot, but. That's different than the gospel. I, I had a time. I, I think I've I've told you Drew about this. If one of the you know, there's reason I don't really preach anymore. I'm not terribly good at it in the way that it happens. Things in the air. I once preached a sermon where it was that 
we, we don't have security, that God loves us, it's, it's what it is, and that we work that out with humanity, and humanity is messy. And he's an example, right? We want this security in which the five steps to a beautiful prayer, but right, yeah. God doesn't give us that. God gives us, right? Jesus gave us the, the Lord's Prayer, which isn't definitive like that. It's, it's open and we have. And afterwards, uh, a lovely woman came up to me after I said that exact same thing and said, hey, Andy, I... Wait, you had mentioned in your prayer about five steps to beautiful prayers. Can you tell me what those are? <laughs> like, well, you heard nothing of what I said. Uh, but it's also because that's the thing that you call it because that's that's a deal, right? I want those five steps. Now I've got it. I can write them down. I can follow right. them. I can feel okay. The alternative is is really scary. Yeah. It's really, really scary. Yeah, it's life with an open hand yeah. and without all the answers that's and right. learning how to be at peace with God's love in yeah. the midst of that. What does it look like in the 21st century when the church gets it right? What does it look like when we see mm-hmm. the church as God's people living the gospel, coming together at different times to, to be nurtured and loved and to hear the gospel again? But what does it look like when we get it right? So I think I, I'm going to go back to the New Testament for a second because this is just what I that's what you do yeah I think about things but <laughs> yeah, that's good. theologians talk about when Jesus came that he uh, that the kingdom of God was kind of already it came in Jesus but it was not yet fully mm-hmm. revealed right. right so when the church gets it right what happens is we take everything that was like um good and perfect about the kingdom of God that was revealed in Jesus and make it more real in the 21st century uh, and that's actually one of the things that I find to be the most kind of um, difficult about this whole gospel thing, right? The, the gospel, the, the kingdom of God is already here mm-hmm. and not yet, and we're involved in making it into more of a reality. And that's really weighty. Um, yeah. But when we get it right, that's what we do, right? And so we can just go and we can look at the things that are good about the kingdom of God, right? There's there's less suffering or there's no suffering, there's no disease, right? So we're when the church gets it right, we marshal our resources and our people to make the world a better place. And that sounds super cliche, uh, but I think that's really what what it's about. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, right, the question of what, what does the church look like today, I think the, the question, it depends on where the church is and who the church is, sure. right? This is another difficulty of, of the translation, I think, especially mm-hmm. for uh, not all, but much of, of the American church is that... Um, Right when we talk about the New Testament, uh, that church we we sometimes exaggerate historically of persecutions, and there weren't a whole lot of general persecutions, Diocletian and others. But um, the church was was poor and dispossessed. Um, that if if I'm looking at now, if I'm looking even at our church, right, and I'm comparing to who we are in the New Testament, we're not the poor dispossessed Jews. We're Romans. Mm-hmm. We have power. We have money, we have security and all those things that Jesus came and said, you want power and safety and security and that stuff and they're nothing. Right. Um, that's a further challenge. So the challenge is not to then feel bad about it. The challenge is then to try to figure out what do I do with the fact that I do, in some sense, by default, and, and I especially, and, and us here, right? Uh, cisgendered, straight, white men in America it's not that we haven't had hard lives and had to work for stuff, but we get the best cards at the beginning of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not that I have to feel bad for that, but I do have to question what do I do with it because I'm handed those things at the beginning. So how do I use them to make the world a better right. place? Or do I need to really hear the gospel to give some of those up? 
Mm -hmm. Um, Do I need to stop trying to climb a ladder and say there's no ladder because Mm -hmm. this is the way the world works? That that's it's it's different, and it's not that um, it's bad that we're a generally wealthy, right, powerful church. But we do need to wrestle with that fact and not pretend we're persecuted because we don't get everything we want all the time. Right. And then in admitting that reality, okay, now then how do we live? Because there's a whole lot of churches, including this city, that that don't have that power Mm -hmm. handed readily to them. They don't have those resources. Uh, and, And the gospel looks different in their communities. So I think that acknowledgement is one step. We can't all equate ourselves with the first century church because we're just not in the same spot. Right. That's okay, but we have to admit it. We can't pretend otherwise because it, it skews everything when we do. It does, and to clarify, I, I think it's so powerful what, what you're saying, and I, and I want our listeners to hear carefully. For the most part, the New, Test- New Testament church was full of poor, dispossessed people, many of whom were Jews who were persecuted, oppressed. The first 300 years of the church, which some would say were the most explosive years of the church, uh, that's who we were, poor and dispossessed people. Today in America, you you said this, which I think is very accurate, we are more like the Romans Mm -hmm. than we are those poor, dispossessed, mostly Jews in the first century. And uh, that's a hard word to hear. And it begs the question, okay, we have all this power, money, and influence, and, and some churches some churches have more than others. I recognize that. For the most part, all of us have some. What do we do with it? What do we do with yeah. that? And uh, Well, and, but like it, it, there's an interesting like uh, differentiation that I think we need to make, right? Churches are made up of people. Each of those people have some obligation That's right. uh, to live out the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Churches as an institution also have an obligation to live out the gospel, but those obligations are not equivalent um, right? Uh, because the context is different. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so I think the conversation has to be to some extent, right? Like what do we as institutional church need to do? But what do we as people who belong to the church also need to do? And those answers aren't going to be the same. Right. And that's okay. Right. Uh, that's that's the complexity of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if what we're doing is a way of life, and if it's not a set of propositions that we assent to, and if it requires that we behave in certain ways when we're not in this building, um, that, that means that it's really context-specific. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um but we have to think about that. So part of what the church has to do to like get it right is to help people, the people who are in the church, figure out what it means to live the gospel in their context. In their context. Yeah. Yeah. As part right. of and this so, community. Right. And that's where, I mean, uh, we talked earlier about the Wesleyan heritage. That's where something like the quadrilateral becomes really interesting, right? So the quadrilateral is this thing that says proper belief and practice comes from uh, – in equal parts, scripture, tradition, uh, reason, and experience, but worked out in community, right? right. And so we have, when, when we assemble together, we have people who are all trying to live out the gospel in some way, and we can talk about our understanding of scripture and experiences that we have and traditions that the church has used and uh, our reason, and we can reason together and figure out better ways forward. So that purpose of, of community, of ecclesia, in a sense, part of it is that is the community 
formed by the gospel in which we gather together and unpack our lives. We right. lay our lives on the table and mm-hmm. ask the question, am I living the gospel or not? Right. How can I better live right. the gospel? Right. And that's yeah. a really risky question. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing to say there too is uh, a challenge that we face in modern America in, in, or modern American Christianity is that so often uh, that community uh, is the only community that we have. And so like the people that we know are the people from church and it's not, we don't know, or maybe people who attend a different church, mm-hmm. but we don't have a community that's not uh, kind of centered around church in some way. Uh, and I think that that's really a challenge for trying to think about living out the gospel. Right. You're saying most Christian American Christians spend their time with other American Christians, right. and right. Yeah. we're not sort of outside the walls. Right. And so if you look at—all right, you know, go back again to Jesus. If you look at Jesus, he was around the sinners all the time, yeah. right? And and that's, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but he was around people that were displaced and dispossessed, right? And he was—and we don't do that. Right. I don't do that. And, I, I love and to that's do super this, challenging. I love to do this uh, preacher thing, homiletical tool, I guess <laughs> it is. But when I read the, the Gospels and, and encounter Jesus engaging with the Pharisees, I will often read those texts and, and say the religious people mm-hmm. instead of right. the Pharisees right. because I think that's, that's a more accurate cultural reference, yes. reference to, yeah. to what Jesus was actually doing. And, and I've self-identify right here in front of God and everybody. I am a religious people. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge to live and, you know, try to provide leadership in the institutional church that oftentimes looks more like the Pharisees than, mm-hmm. than it does the people of God. And uh, not always, but oftentimes we do. Well, I, I think this goes back to your, your original question of, right, does the, the church— um, is it living out the gospel? Is it, a, is it opposed to the gospel? I, I think most of the time, um, right, certainly the institutional church sometimes enacts, facilitates a gospel living throughout the world. I think that happens in, in almost every, right, quote-unquote church community you can find. Uh, I do think there are times in which church communities, institutional communities, uh, sometimes are honestly opposed to that gospel living. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not intentionally, right? Maybe not actively, perhaps as passively, but uh, they are uh, holding up hierarchies and participating maybe passively in oppressive systems or uh, communities. But I think honestly, most of the time, institutional church is neither really advancing or going against the gospel. I think we're mostly just distracting ourselves with something else. I think we want to we want to get together with people and be okay. We want it's it's a social club, mm-hmm. which isn't bad um, at its heart, right? But that's kind of what we want. We want to come and know people who are like us, and we feel comfortable and have, and that's okay. But I, right? I, I think at the end, a requirement of Jesus is not that we have to have all the answers. We don't have to know, but we've got to care, right? The temptation is not to go out and be horrible people and sin. The real temptation we face is indifference. Right. It's just not and, looking, oh, is not man. hearing, is not seeing, and just feeling okay about ourselves. This is this is the challenge in in our church and in many churches. And I speak for myself. I can get in my car, roll my garage door up, drive over here to the office come in this office through the my secret back door so nobody has to see me. Mm. I can do my thing, stay here all day, 
get back in my car, drive back to my house, roll up the garage door, and go home and go to bed, never seeing, being near, being around folks who are struggling through life. They're there, but I can ignore them uh, easily, and I can choose indifference over actually caring. It's a lot less messy to do that. That's right. I have yeah. my checklists and my daily routines, and I love being able to stick with them. Uh, but the gospel requires more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think many of us, especially middle-class, upper-middle-class American Christians, we have to choose to care. And that means we have to go to places that are yeah. very uncomfortable and do things that are uncomfortable in order to do that, in order to really live the gospel. And that's yeah. a challenge. Yeah, and maybe even more challenging is that because I come from a standpoint of 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 power and and prestige and in some sense, right, that I have to willingly move out of my world to go to another world. Uh, the other challenge that always comes with that is I feel like, uh, and we use this language sometimes, right? We're going to go give a helping hand, right? right? I need to right. go to less foreigners and reach down to them. Right. It, it's inherently dismissive. hierarchical language, yeah. yeah. But yeah. no is a realization that it turns out no, and there's perhaps that I'm the one who's lost, yeah. And I have to go to those without to actually oh. learn to see the world in the proper place because I'm just blind. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm not seeing until I go and be with others who see from a different and way. And always we find God already That's at work right, and there. God's already there. God's been there the That's whole right. time. And That's right. uh, we've actually often been the ones not with God. Yeah. We're not yeah. bringing God to them. God's already there wondering. Yeah. We yeah. just get to go see where God is. Ryan, you said it, that kind of language, uh, where we reach down from on high and provide help, that's very dismissive. It is. Say more about that. Uh, well, I mean, it just it just says that we have all the answers, yeah. and the people that we're quote unquote helping have none of the answers, and we have all the resources, and they have none. And it just kind of says like, "Hey, come be like us." Yeah. And yeah. that's it. It discounts the humanity of those people who we're trying to help. Uh, right. And I think it makes the help not helpful in exactly. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it becomes a handout, a band aid, and we're not really engaging. Or with, even counterproductive. Uh, yes, right. Yeah, uh, we had uh, at at another church, we had a, a program of ministry where we provided help for people who came utility bills. You know, mm-hmm. every church in the country has something like that. Sometimes it's good, but we got to noticing we were basically helping people stay in the very same broken and unhealthy system yeah. that they had always right. been in. We were part of the problem, yeah. and we had to make a very difficult decision to stop doing that and to instead spend our effort and energy and resources trying to get at the root of that problem, which was really about affordable uh, housing, about health care, about poverty. That's where the real problems right, were. Yeah. But that church was absolutely hammered in the community because we stopped giving handouts. Mm-hmm. And by hammered in the community, I'm talking about other churches. They said, mm-hmm. well, oh, why, why are they stopping doing that? Aren't they being selfish? You know, they're keeping all that for themselves. That's not what was happening. But that was the accusation from our sisters and brothers in Christ. Yeah, sure. Uh, because the perception was we were no longer helping. Yeah. I, I like to think we actually were trying to help in a much better way than what we were doing. Well, I, I think that that in some sense comes back to the... Uh, the, the challenge and the freedom of understanding of a gospel this way, of, of through Jesus, Jesus declares the gross equality of humanity, mm-hmm. um, is that uh, what I also want to do uh, with, with power and privilege, what I want to be okay, is 
I want to use that in some sense as an escape, right? So there are all these really complicated systemic issues that are going on. And so, but wait, God loves both people. So if ever there's an issue that comes that's really complicated and it's a matter of justice or a matter of equality, I want to say, but you know what? God loves people. Don't we need to see both sides and don't we have? But the reality is a position of neutrality is a position on the side of those who already have power because it's still going to maintain the status quo. Sometimes I realize to step into those systems, I have to oppose some people whom God loves. Mm -hmm. I can't dehumanize them and and dismiss them away, but I I may have to stand against them, and that may upset some people, and it may be, and this may be just part of, I'm a terrible Southerner in so many ways, though I'm certainly a son of the South. Uh, We may be value politeness over kindness. Right. Um, politeness over compassion, yeah, right. Because the worst thing you can do is be impolite. But but sometimes no, to be kind and compassionate and loving, I I must be impolite because I must oppose you. Yeah, and I hope that we can both be redeemed through this. But um, we sometimes I I want to. I I mean that literally. My default is I want to have an escape hatch of of neutrality. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be neutral. It makes me feel okay. But no, I think a lot of times my challenge is to not be neutral, but just not to other the ones right. that I'm standing against, that God loves them, and that they may see, and I may see through it. Yeah. Um, but that's an institutional issue, too, with a lot of this stuff. We don't want to take stands because we don't want to upset people, and we don't have to. Sometimes I do it and upset you because I believe it's the gospel, and I'll hear, and I'll listen to you, and I'll try to learn. But I, I'm if I have to side on one way— uh, I'm, I should always, I believe Jesus definitively says, we side with the oppressed. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm required to do that. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. That's, Greek, Hebrew, whatever language you want to study, that is at the heart of the Scripture. That's right. Yes. Some, somebody called that, I think we had a bishop that called that God's preferential option preferential for, treatment the, for the for poor. The poor yeah. 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 And uh, God's presence there, which always made me think. So we've talked around what is church a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm not yeah. sure that we've answered it. But if I, you know, it seems like to to try to put some of the pieces together. Uh, what when we're thinking about a church that that works, or a church that's successful, or a church that's gospel oriented, however we want to put that together, we're talking about a church that recognizes its position and recognizes its power, uh, and uses that to marshal people towards living out the gospel and to engage with systems and in a deep way that's not kind of, uh, I don't know, superficial. Uh, those are just easy opposites. Uh, but to move people towards like this this kingdom of God in a, in a real way and to mm-hmm. make that into a reality in a way that it isn't now, um, right? Well, that's super idealistic and super high-minded and it's not ever gonna happen, uh, I don't think. Um, because people are involved mm-hmm. in the church, but it's certainly an ideal that's worth shooting towards. It is, and I think that's our that's our call. That's understanding our place in God's unfolding kingdom is crucial, and at the heart of it is the gospel, as we've talked about it today. And I think the part that's freeing of this that we talked about that change and that transition, uh, the freeing part is that in doing that, we're not we're not called by God to be effective in that. We're called to be faithful. Right. This belief that God's going to do what God's going to do, and most of the time we don't know what God is doing. Mm-hmm. So we're just required to be faithful and believe that God is doing something with it. 
We don't have to change the world, but we have to try. That's right. it. That's the requirement. That is both a terrible burden and just beautifully freeing. Yeah. I just have to try and believe that right. God's going to do something with it. Just be faithful. It's not neutrality. It's not. It's never neutrality. Right. It's but faithfulness the that God to the gospel. Is doing. Yeah, but in the context of the church, that try looks two directions, right? right. Yeah, it's exactly an institutional, right. yep. like we as an institution mm-hmm. have to try, but then also me as an individual have yep. to try. And exactly right. and sometimes those those are going to overlap, and but they might not always mm-hmm. overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. And that's a, that's an interesting thing. That's a that's big right. challenge. Yeah. It is a big challenge, and I, I think I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about two things. One that our our podcast, the Church at Work, will give us a forum to have these conversations and to talk about some of the neat things that are happening in and around our community and our church. Yeah. But to really dig into this idea, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered community living into the kingdom of God and helping God in that work? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, think, I think it will help all of us to think about this uh, more deeply. The other thing that I'm hopeful about, I'm hopeful for the future of the Church of Jesus Christ in America and around the world. Uh, one, because it belongs to God, and we can have hope there. Mm-hmm. But two, because I am seeing... So many people who've just grown weary from playing at this thing and who really are hungry for something deep and meaningful. And I say, praise God, let's celebrate that, roll up our sleeves and get at this real work. How hopeful is that? My goodness. Now, what's the church going to look like in 30 years or 40 or 50 when I can retire? Uh, (laughs) What's it going to look like? I don't know. Uh, But my security is not in my pension plan and in the church looking just like it does right now, it has to be in the gospel, which is God's love for everyone, no matter what. Thank you, too. This has been just a wonderful conversation, and I suspect you'll be back on the Church at Work podcast from time to time (laughs) to have more conversation. Is that a threat or a promise? (laughs) Whichever one you like it to be. No, we, uh, we've had a good time together, and I thank you both for your time. And uh, I want to pray as we close episode two of The Church at Work. Lord, we give you thanks again for your presence with us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that draws us deeper into your kingdom. We thank you for this gospel that sets us free, but that lays this incredible challenge upon us to see the world as you see it, to see each other uh, as you see us to love as you love, no matter what. Fill us with a hunger for that love, for justice, for righteousness, for peace, for reconciliation with you and with each other. Give us, Lord, hearts and hands to work for your coming kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us this week on the Church at Work podcast. What a powerful conversation. Many thanks to Andy and Ryan for their candid thoughts. Next week on the Church at Work podcast, we will be joined by staff members from Project Transformation of Tennessee. This ministry has an amazing story, and I encourage you to join us. Make sure that you also subscribe to the Church at Work podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Uh, You can do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Church at Work podcast is a ministry of First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you have an idea for a topic or a question you'd like us to explore, please email me at ben at churchatworkpodcast.com. And don't forget, 
that we will never change the world by just going to church. We will only change the world by being the church.